This morning we are wrapping up this teaching series on prayer and fasting with a message on how do you pray when you're carrying around some really heavy burdens, some things are just, you know, they're weighing on you, you're worried about them, you're afraid, you're concerned, you're hurting. And how, how do you pray in those moments? When I was uh, 20 years old, pastoring a small church in Kentucky on Thanksgiving Thursday, my family and I had just finished uh, eating dinner. When the telephone rang, I answered, and it was uh, a young woman in our church named Moretta who taught our youth Sunday school class. Her father had been taken to the hospital with a heart attack he had suffered during Thanksgiving. So I left the house, and when I got to the hospital, they met me in the lobby. He had passed away. And they were crying, hurting. And I still, all these years later, remember Moretta looking at me and saying through her tears, I prayed, but it didn't do any good. What would you tell her? If you had been me standing in front of her and she said, I prayed, but it didn't do any good, my father died. Even though I prayed, he died. What would you tell her? How would you minister to her? What would you say in that moment? Well, to be honest with you, I was 20 years old and didn't know what to say. How do you pray when you're in a crisis? How do you encourage others to pray? What, what do you encourage them to do? How do you instruct them, help them know how to pray when they're going through a, a tough time? Say there's sickness, cancer, leukemia. Praying this week for a little child in one of our local schools just discovered she had leukemia. Somebody's experienced a death, unexpectedly maybe, and very tragically. Somebody's uh, laid off in downsizing. They need a job or there's a financial crisis. Some other hardship. And there, there, there are so many hardships we face in life with children, grandchildren, spouses, parents. How do, how do you pray in those moments? See, sometimes I think people, all of us, we make deals with God. We try to bargain with God. God, if, if you'll do such and such, then I'll do such and such. Or maybe we say, God, I've been so faithful and I have served you all these years and I've given and I've, I've sacrificed. So God, why aren't you doing such and such? We, we try to barter with God, make deals with God. Other times we simply don't pray. Because we don't think it'll do any good, and because we don't think it any good, do any good, we we just we just don't spend much time praying about it. We 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 think it's a waste of time. And then there's there's the thought that somehow if I just have enough faith, if, if I can just be so faithful and dedicated, if, if my faith is strong enough when I pray, then then. It'll work out. God will do what I want God to do. And, and you have all these preachers on TV, the, the name it, claim it group I talk about. And, and so many of us go through life beating ourselves up because things didn't turn out the way we asked God. Things didn't turn out the way we wanted. So there must have been something wrong with me. I, I, I don't have enough faith. There must be some, some sin in my life. I'm to blame somehow. Any of you ever struggle with any of those thoughts or feelings on the inside? Hmm? 
Yeah. And when we don't get the answer we want that we ask God for, it can, it can impact us in a negative way spiritually and, and otherwise. It affected Moretta. She stopped teaching our youth Sunday school class. She eventually quit coming to church altogether. And for many years stayed away from church. And it all went back to that day in the hospital when she said, I prayed, but it didn't do any good. And so our understanding how to pray in these moments, understanding what the Bible teaches about this important subject is critical because it can help us and free us and and misunderstandings can impact us and hinder us spiritually. And I'll be honest, for years when I was a younger pastor, I, I would pray with people in crisis, pray for people in crisis, but at times with a, with a certain sense of uncertainty. Because how am I supposed to pray with them? Because I knew when I was praying with people who had cancer that most of them were not going to be healed. God healed some, medicine healed some, and some died, right? Not everybody got a job that I was praying would get a job. I mean, anybody in this room that every time you've asked God to heal somebody, they were healed? Hmm? And so in those early days, I'd pray, and there'd be some uncertainty. And, and, and so how do, you, how, do you, how do you pray? You, see, you, you, you can do it with boldness. God, I claim in the name of Jesus, do this. And if I have enough faith, God's going to do it. If you have enough faith, God will always do that. Whatever it is we ask and whatever it is we want. But sometimes with our hesitation, because we know it doesn't work out that way, uh, we, we, we pray a, a hesitating type prayer. God, I'd, I, you know, I'm, I'm praying for sister so-and-so. I'm praying for myself. I'm, but because we, we, we don't have any confidence that it's going to work out, we don't really boldly, directly ask God for it. And, and, and God, we, we love you, your will. And, and so we either hesitate or we just almost treat God like a genie in the bottle. And if we know the correct formula, we rub the bottle the right way, then it'll always happen. It's, it's, it tends to be one of the two, doesn't it? So how do we pray? Over the years, just through life and I guess, you know, some, some, some maturity and study of Scripture and hanging out with some people who know stuff I don't know, I've learned a few things and I want to share with you some of the things I've learned about this, this important subject. Now, I want us to look at a prayer of Jesus to help us understand how to pray in a moment of crisis. Now, it's not the prayer you're thinking about. We're going, we're going to start there, so I want us to open our Bibles to Luke 22 because most of us are familiar with Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane the evening before his arrest. But there's a prayer he prayed a few days earlier that we're going to focus on. We'll start, however, with the prayer in the Garden that, that evening, okay, in Luke uh, 22, and You'll remember Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room and they observe the Jewish Passover. Then he instituted the Lord's Supper and he does some teaching and he prays with them. And then as a group, they, they leave that building, make their way to this garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gets on his knees and he prays because he knows that in just a little while he'll, he'll be arrested. And that over the next 18 hours or so, he's going to experience hell on earth, literally. 
He's going to be tortured. He knows that. He knows that they're going to smack him around in the face. They're going to beat him with a whip and with sticks. He knows they're going to spit on him and, and they're going to cuss at him, laugh at him, ridicule him, mock him, make fun of him. He knows that those who are closest to him are going to be so intimidated, they, they, they scatter, they, they, they abandon him. He knows that he'll be nailed to some wood and hung up as a public spectacle to die, to be crucified a, an, an excruciatingly painful death. He knows all that. He knows that as he hangs on that cross, the sin of humanity, every sin I've committed, every sin you've committed, every sin that every human being that has ever lived and ever will live has committed, he knows that all of that sin is suddenly going to be dumped on him. And as the Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us. And for the first time in existence, the Son knew spiritual separation from the Father because he became sin. And he, he, he bore in his own being, his body, his soul, his own being, the, the judgment, the wrath, the punishment, the consequences of all our sin, and he died to pay the penalty of our sin so we could have everlasting life. He, he knew that was going to happen. And so just a little while before his arrest, knowing all of that, the Bible says in Luke 22 at verse 41 that he withdrew from them, the disciples that were with him in the garden, about a stone's throw. So he just walked off over here by himself. And he knelt down. Get that picture in your mind. So here's, here's the disciples. And we know from the other gospels, here, here's the disciples. And then here's three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, a little closer to Jesus. And then over here is Jesus. And they're in this beautiful garden, and it's dark. And, and, and he's asked them to pray for him. And he's on his face before the Father praying because he knows what's about to happen. And in verse 42, his prayer is, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, the the, the cup of bitterness, the suffering, all that was going to happen. Father, if, if, if you're willing, if there's another way, I don't want to experience that. Does that sound like something you and I would pray? Huh? Yeah. Jesus being the God-man, fully God, fully man here, you, you, you see his humanity. Is there another way? Is there another plan? And yet not my will. No, not what I want. Not what's easier for me. But yours be done. Now, you get a glimpse in that passage of, of how to pray in crisis. I'll take us to another passage in a moment that gives us an even deeper insight into how, how to pray in tough times. In verse 43, I didn't put it on the screen or in your notes. An angel comes and strengthens him. And by the way, when you really spend time in God's presence, he does strengthen you. Verse 44, however, and being, I, want you to see, I want you to see the depth of, of humanity. I want you to see the, 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 the realness of Jesus' prayer. Being in agony. 
He was praying very fervently with passion. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you you get the picture of how intense this time of prayer is? I remember those quick weekend trips from Sumter to Kentucky when Dad was dying with cancer years ago. On one occasion in particular as we, Mom and Dad and Monisa and I and Stephen was uh, a year old or so, still in the you know infant car seat, I, I remember standing on the patio outside and, and just the four of us, and, the, and we'd already put Stephen in his car seat and, and Dad asking us to pray for him. So we kind of cried through a prayer and then get into the car to start the seven-plus-hour drive back to Sumter. And, and uh, when I closed the car door, just lost it. You ever been there? Hmm? That's that's the moment Jesus is having here. It's intense. I mean, don't don't think because we we worship him and and even though he's fully man, he's fully God, that that because he's fully God, this was not intense. When the, when the Bible says the, the high priest we pray to is touched by all of our infirmities, all of our weaknesses, he gets it. He's touched because he's been there. And this, this prayer of Jesus helped me. But it was another prayer he prayed a couple of days before this one that helped me the most. So look with me, if you will, please, in John's Gospel, chapter 12. Now, it's the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. He's in Jerusalem. He's teaching the people, crowds of people. He he spent a, a week, pretty much, most of a week doing that before he was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. And so he's teaching, and we don't know if it's the day before or two days before. We don't know exactly. But sometime before he was arrested and prayed the prayer we just read in the garden, Jesus is teaching the crowd. And he explains to them that he's going to die. This is the passage where he talks about, you know, a seed has to fall into the ground and die before it can, you know, produce fruit, and that that he's going to die. Out of that will come life, eternal life, for believers, for followers. But before life, there's death. He says if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. He he knew he had to be willing to give up his life to gain all that was going to be gained from the cross. And so he's speaking very openly about his impending crucifixion. Now notice in the midst of this, there's this moment, this this. Beautiful, heart-wrenching, powerful moment in which Jesus lays open his heart, not just to the disciples, but to that crowd. In the midst of his teaching about his crucifixion, suddenly in verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Essentially the same prayer he prayed in the garden, correct? 
But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is why I was born. This is why I'm here. Father, in the garden, it was your will be done. Here in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Now, this, this passage is so important. When, when it says Jesus was troubled, uh, that word in the original language means to be agitated, confused, agitated. You, you ever raise the, the lid on your washing machine and seen the agitator, and the water sloshing around and the clothes being jerked around, the agita- called an agitator, right? That's the word that describes Jesus' heart and spirit and being at this moment. Do you get the picture? My soul, my psyche, my inner being is troubled, is agitated. And then that phrase, this is why this verse is so beautiful for me. That that phrase, what shall I say? How? Am I supposed to pray? What am I supposed to ask? What shall I say? You ever been there? Hmm? What shall I say? How do I pray? He said, there's two, there's two options. Save me from this cup. Save me, save me from this hour. Save me from this death, from this pain, this, this, this persecution, this crucifixion, this humiliation, this, this, this. Save me from all this. But Father, it's this this hour, this stuff is the very reason I was born and took on myself humanity. It was for this hour, it was for this evening, for this moment that I'm here. Glorify your name. Just two options. Just two options. Now, there's one really important difference between Jesus and us in a moment of crisis. Now, I need you to listen very carefully. This is, this is critical. In his hour, Jesus knew the Father's will. He knew the Father's plan, right? That's what he was acknowledging when he said, it's for this hour that I I exist, that I was born, that I'm here. He knew the Father's plan, the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit himself, he's part of the plan. He knew that the eternal plan, the, the Bible says the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain from the foundation of the world. From the very beginning when we sinned, it's part of God's plan. He knew the will of God for himself, the will of the Father, the triune God in in that moment. He knew God's will. 
Now, if I'm honest, and I, I don't want to usurp the role of God and pretend I'm more than I am the way some people do when it comes to these issues, I don't know God's will when someone has cancer. And anyone who says they do is usurping the role of God. I don't know his will for each individual. I don't know God's will for which job someone's supposed to have or not have. I, I, don't, I don't know God's job for which college somebody's supposed to get in or not get in. I don't know any of that stuff. You don't know any of that stuff. Stop claiming you do. I know what I want. I know what I prefer, what I would like. Correct? You know what you would prefer. You know what you would like. But you don't know what God's plan is, do you? That's why I get so infuriated with all these preachers. If you just have enough faith and you name it and you claim it and you're right, then no, you, you, you cannot manipulate the God of eternity. That is heresy. Does faith play a part? Absolutely. But so does the will of God. And I don't, I don't usually, I don't usually know his will in all these matters. And I'm not going to act like I do. That's a big, that's an important difference, isn't it? So how do, how do we pray? Well, it dawned on me gradually. Here's how you pray in these moments. You be honest with God and with yourself. You be honest. Stop playing games with God. Stop playing games with yourself. And be honest. Was Jesus honest in these two prayers? Was he? Father, I don't want to I don't want to experience all this. That's honest. Is there another way? That's honest. That's the starting place. It's just being honest with God about what you feel and what you want. Do you, do you understand that God loves you enough and God is big enough to handle, to deal with your honesty? That he's not going to suddenly hate you if you're honest because the truth is he already knows what you think, so why not go ahead and be honest? Honesty. But there was another part to this prayer that, that teaches us. Not only was Jesus honest, but you know, in the end, now listen, this is equally important. In the end, Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father more than he wanted what was easy for himself. Now chew on that one for a moment.
for you and me, it means in the end, we simply want to know him more than we want anything else. We simply want him in our lives to know him, to love him, to serve him more than we want health, more than we want money, more than we want anything. Idolatry is wanting anything more than you want him. And so what does this mean when we pray in a crisis? It means something like this, and this is how I've tried to pray in recent years. God, heal my brother of cancer. You know that's what I want, what he wants, what we want. And I pray in Jesus' name for that. You want me to make my request known. I do come boldly to your throne, Father. I'm not hesitating. That's what I want. That's what I'm asking for. But, Father, above everything else, we're going to love you. And we're going to serve you. And we're going to trust you. And we're going to be faithful to you. You know what we want. But, Lord, we love you above everything else. And then with all the pain and all the fear and all the unknown, you leave it in the hands of God, and you live for him. Now, here's the problem. Here's the challenge. Some of us never get to the place where we want Jesus more than we want what we want. But it's really hard long-term to pray about these kind of things the right way and be strengthened without getting to the place where we want Jesus more than we want what we want. Glorify your name. We don't understand everything God's up to in this world, and sometimes it's through death and it's through struggles that he works. Even if we never fully grasp it all till heaven, sometimes that's the way it works. There are other times he works through healing and through immediate blessings. And so be honest, God, this is what we're asking. Don't be afraid to pray for healing. Don't be afraid to pray for someone to have a job. But also in that same prayer, God, above everything, above everything, we love you and we serve you and nothing, no matter what happens, will ever change that. That's a prayer of surrender. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer that says, as a follower of Christ, I understand this life is not the only life. It's not even the better life. Certainly not the most important life because the one to come, that's the better life. That's the more important life. That's the real life. It's a way of saying through prayer, I understand, Lord, that is not about me and what I need and prefer as much as it is about your kingdom and your plan in eternity to see men and women come to faith in Christ. Ultimately, I am a servant and I am a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. What do you think that means? 
Not everybody's going to get there to that point. Not everybody who comes to church every Sunday, year after year, is going to get to that point. But you can get to that point, and it's only in that place there is the freedom that Jesus expressed in these prayers to be honest and to be obedient and to be an example and to be an inspiration. Easy? Was it easy for him? Agitated? Troubled? Tears falling to the ground? No, it's not easy, but it's freedom. And it's God-honoring. And it's what a disciple is. And your only choice is to become that kind of follower or keep trying to manipulate God and make it all about what you want and never about what he really wants. Those really are our only two choices.